Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. What's going to change the game and keep things moving in the right direction at this point is really individual action. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, but I'm just here to tell Oklahomans we are going to get through this. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast bringing you the latest info and insight into how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Through interviews and conversations, this podcast is about context and clarity during this challenging time. Today is Thursday, April 16th. On today's episode, the Frontier's Cassie McClung joins me to discuss an update from Governor Kevin Stitt that he is working on reopening businesses, restarting elective surgeries, and believes the curve is flattening in Oklahoma. But first, here's a review of the latest coronavirus numbers. On Wednesday, the State Department of Health reported 79 new cases of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, bringing the total to 2,263. Cumulative hospitalizations reached 510, and 15 additional deaths brought the total to 123. Hey, Cassie, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? Good. We are just minutes fresh off of a press conference that Governor Kevin Stitt held. He's doing one about every, I don't know, four or five days, and today held one at the uh, state capitol. And uh, some new information coming from him in in terms of him talking about maybe some future plans to try to reopen businesses and restart elective surgeries. But let's start with something he said. He said he believes that the the curve is flattening in Oklahoma. I want to ask you, is is that true? Um, You know, that's a good question. We've been watching the hospitalizations and the new cases per day to kind of look at whether the curve is flattening. And, you know, The governor isn't the only person that I've heard say that today. Um, There's a doctor at OU Medicine who gives, uh, he gives weekly briefings. His name's Dr. Drevitz, and he's their chief of infectious diseases there. And he actually said today that there are signs that Oklahoma's curve is flattening. And of course, he did add that, you know, just because we are seeing um, what he thought was the social distancing working, that um, the state shouldn't start to, you know, end those policies yet. But so the governor said what the state's mainly looking at for, I guess, looking at whether the curve is flattening is looking at the net number for hospitalizations Mm -hmm. per day. So we've been seeing a cumulative number of hospitalizations per day, but we're not really seeing who's coming in and out of the hospital, which is a really important piece of data. Um, I think this morning the state said there were 510 cumulative hospitalizations, but today the governor gave us some new data that we hadn't gotten to see before. So Stitt said that the number of net hospitalizations, you know, so hospitalizations in one day peaked at 560 on March 6th, on March 30th, excuse me. And that's not quite what my data is showing. So I'm wondering if he has maybe different data than I do, because my data is showing there were 153 hospitalizations on March 30th. So 
Um, I'll have to follow up on that. And then he said that there were 420 or so net hospitalizations yesterday. So still, you know, in the hunts, several hundreds, but, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely down from, from where it is based on the numbers that he shared. And, you know, the total number of cases is important. Obviously, the number of fatalities is, is important. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the hospitalization number, is, is, I guess, is really critical because that's where it's really about who is, who is needing immediate care uh, because of uh, contracting the virus. Right, exactly. You know, who is going to need the resources? And that's really what the state's preparing for or needs to prepare for in the case of a patient surge is who is going to need ventilators, who's going to need those critical care beds, or who's just going to need general hospital beds. And along with all of that, you know, the state has to think about those people coming in who need treatment for other illnesses or yeah. injuries that aren't related to COVID-19. Yeah. And the governor continues to say that he believes the state has has enough hospital beds to handle to handle a surge mm-hmm. that's good news and, and you know when you when you start hearing that the curve is flattening your mind goes to okay when when can we begin to you know open society back up so to speak and i i think i think about the fact that you know if we open up a little bit too soon and granted I'm, you know i'm a reporter i'm not i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor so i'm not trying mm-hmm. to speak with that kind of authority but you know i think about whether or not if we open up too soon have we seen a lot of the vulnerable Oklahomans who have been really sheltering in place? Do we risk, you know, some of them becoming more exposed? I mean, I guess you kind of have to think through, hey, it's getting better, but you don't want to open up too soon because then you may go ahead and and kickstart it once again. Right. So I thought it was interesting timing uh, with this announcement. Uh, I think last time the governor mentioned when the state might see its peak, it was on Friday and he said the state was probably going to see its patient peak in the next two weeks. But then, you know, now we have the governor talking about slowly reopening the state in the next two weeks, you know, non-essential businesses, um, restaurants, establishments like that. So I think, you know, that's a good question with whether opening the state back up is going to cause another potential surge in cases. And I guess that's something we're going to have to watch. Um, the governor said that he's in talks with the health department and other agencies and organizations across the state on trying to establish some kind of guidance to safely reopen the economy, is how he put it. So that's going to be something that, you know, I feel like that's a very delicate balance. Yeah. And we'll probably have other states to look at and kind of how they handled this because, you know, mm-hmm. their peaks happened happened sooner. You know, it was interesting while Stitt was talking about the idea of opening up, there was, um, I don't know if you saw this online, but there was a, a, a demonstration, I guess, a protest mm-hmm. with, of dozens, maybe even a couple hundred, I'm not sure on the count, that they had gathered at Penn Square Mall, which is a mall here in Oklahoma City, um, to demand that the state reopen, that businesses reopen. So obviously violating the the 10, the ban on 10 plus gatherings. So obviously this was a right. segment of Oklahomans that weren't, that weren't viewing the coronavirus with a lot of seriousness and then they drove over to the state capitol and kind of did a, a drive through march or, or something like that anyways that was happening while the governor was speaking i don't mm-hmm. think they're connected at all but the governor did say that you know reopening may look like a kind of a staggered approach that maybe we open up some types of businesses and maybe restaurants but we you know do we need to screen you know restaurant workers to make sure that you know they don't have a fever before they come to work and do we need to spread out spread out tables so it does sound mm-hmm. like at least the governor is thinking a, a reopening won't be something that just happens in a snap right yeah definitely it does sound like it's something that's going to be slowly 
rolled out. It's not going to be something that, you know, it's May 1st and suddenly everything's open and normal again. But, you know, he did address that demonstration a little bit, or I guess you might call it a protest. Um, you know, these are people's, it's, it's, it's kind of like a balance you have to strike because, you know, COVID-19 is obviously so serious and we're trying to flatten that curve. But the other hand, um, in their defense, I guess, it is a lot of people's livelihoods. So I will, I'm interested to see, you know, what businesses might get priority to open first. Yeah. And I had, I had a friend today who texted me and said, you know, Hey, you know, what do you think? Does your gut tell you we'll be open by May 1st? And he's actually a, a pastor. And so was asking, do you think mm-hmm. churches will be open? And I told him my guess would be, I mean, that seemed ambitious, but but my guess is that whatever first wave of institutions are to reopen, that maybe churches will be a part of it. I mean, Governor Stitt mm-hmm. has talked about churches so much when he speaks about, you know, how he's uh, happy that churches are not holding services in person, but acknowledges that many are eager to reopen. And obviously that's an important institution in a state like Oklahoma. So I wonder if uh, I told him, I said, my, my guess would be that maybe churches would be included in there. Maybe you see restaurants, but you still... You know, maybe you don't open up museums and, and big sporting events quite yet, but uh, but that this will be kind of a staggered approach. Right. And I'm I'm guessing because I haven't seen the plans yet or heard anything yet, you know, about what the discussions are like behind that. But I would assume if restaurants and churches do reopen or in, are in the first or second wave of businesses or organizations that reopen, I'd assume it would have to be in some kind of you know, different, it would look different than how, I guess, a church gathering normally would, because these are such social institutions, and so many people gathered in close proximities. So I would assume they would have to put some kind of measures in place to try to slow the spread of the virus a little bit in those places. Yeah, in the early days of the virus, uh, my family and I, we were actually in Nashville, and and we were were there for a trip and, and cut it short to come home as things were getting uh, more, more serious and severe. But at the time, the city of Nashville, like a lot of other cities, they hadn't closed restaurants yet, but they had a certain distance that tables had to be apart. And so we went to a restaurant and they they told us that they were full, that they could take one more table, but it didn't look full at all because, you know, every only every third booth, so to speak, was was had uh, had customers sitting in okay. there. And so I, I kind of wonder if that's something that we may see here. We never took that phased approach. You know, the decision was made to close down businesses in Oklahoma City and Tulsa uh, completely and then and then by the state. So I just wonder if th- th- that may be something that, that we see. You know, another thing mm-hmm. that we are, looks like we are going to see coming soon is the restarting of elective surgeries. That's something that's dead announced yeah. on, thir- on Wednesday. Right. So that order was initially supposed to go through till April 30th, and it looks like now it's going to be pushed back to April 24th. So elective surgeries can resume in nine days. And, you know, as we've talked about several times before, that order started a legal battle between abortion providers in the state. So I'm wondering if that'll kind of, I guess, see, we'll see that go away with this. Yeah. And that's important. Not not the the ban on elective surgeries is not so much because you want to stop gatherings like you would with a mm-hmm. restaurant or other establishments. This is in an effort to preserve healthcare resources and, and PPE. And so this is a statement by by the governor and health officials that they believe the state has enough to go ahead and, and restart elective surgeries. Right. And I feel like that's huge because, you know, that's only nine days and we're projecting a peak in the next week or two. So I feel like the governor must be fairly confident in the state's ability to handle a peak, whatever 
that might look like. And one of my questions today for the press conference, I didn't get to ask it, unfortunately. There were, I'm sure, dozens of reporters trying to ask questions in there, but um, was whether the state, because we heard the governor talk about the state modeling a little bit and the data coming in and, you know, that modeling potential, that model potentially changing. So one of my questions was, you know, whether that model had changed at all to influence these decisions. You know, something else that I thought was interesting that the governor said is he was asked about um, commutations and, Mm -hmm. you know, releasing inmates inmates from prison to try to reduce overcrowding, you know, because of COVID-19. And reducing prison overcrowding is something that's already been in kind of in the works from STIT and the Pardon and Parole Board to kind of reduce Oklahoma's status as, as a top incarceration state. And he said that the virus has nothing to do with any decisions on on that front. But, you know, last week, he, his office sent out a, a press release, and there's a couple of reasons I bring this up. But one, his, his quote in the press release was, is we've been working diligently with the Pardon and Parole Board to safely reduce prison population mm. amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. So I, I don't know if that's him speaking to we're just trying to do it in a safe way because of mm-hmm. the pandemic or we are reducing the population because of the pandemic. But today he said that had nothing to do with any decisions he was making. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up because when I initially read that press release, that's how I read it because I know there are some other states that have tried to release people from prison to try to, you know, I guess take that population down to reduce the spread of the virus. So, yeah, that's how I initially uh, thought he was approaching it, I guess. Yeah. And I bring up that press release for another reason, too. I, I plan to have a story on Thursday about this. So as you're listening to this, it should be up at readfrontier.org. But in that release, the governor's office said that 404 uh, inmates will be released on Thursday. So today when the podcast comes out. Mm-hmm. But I was starting to hear from some people who work with uh inmates who have been released and families that said that they weren't sure that number was accurate. And in, and in fact, as we were talking, you may have heard the ding of my email, um, the Department of Corrections says that it's it's actually only going to be 111 that oh, are wow. released tomorrow. Um, and I don't know if that's a, I'm still waiting from the governor to know if that's like a communication error or, or what that mm-hmm. may be. But um, it was kind of risen up drew to my attention because, you know, some family members were, were expecting to see, you know, loved ones released and then were told that's actually not going to be the case. So uh, that's not ne- necessarily related to the coronavirus, but it, but it is kind of because, like you yeah. said, there's been some some efforts in some other states to try to reduce uh, overcrowding in prisons. So not to uh, so, so not to see a spread in those institutions. Right. Yeah. Um, have you gotten to, I guess, dive into those? A little bit and see why those people might not be getting released well it's other charges so okay. you know those that may you know they maybe had a, a non-violent drug offense charge mm-hmm. that was a sentence that was commuted but uh, you know maybe there was another charge that that the commutation didn't didn't cover and and one of the things that was interesting talking with some officials at the pardon and parole board is you know we've seen hundreds of of, of commutations over the past year since since it came into office or more than a year and it's kind of, and I don't know if this is the right phrase to use, but we've kind of seen the lowest hanging fruit released. You know, those mm-hmm. who were, you know, strictly just had that nonviolent drug charge or they had the cases that were the easiest to say, yes, you know, you, you deserve to, to be released from prison. And, and now those cases are not as plentiful it, it, from it, we're talking to some officials at the Pardon and Parole Board. Now you're seeing more, uh, you know, tougher uh, commutation requests. 
whether right. it's because the actual charge is serious or because there are multiple charges. I mean, we saw a focus early on on inmates who were the most ready to be released because of their circumstances. And we've kind of phased out of that, out of that period. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the st- our state also said that there are now more than 80 testing sites, uh, the Department mm-hmm. of Health, uh, mobile testing sites. The Department of Health reported that they're partnering with the Chickasaw Nation to open up drive through testing sites at their clinics um, in, in three additional cities. You know, one thing that was interesting on that notice, I don't know if you read that in the status report email they put out, but they said a, a photo ID is required. Yeah. And, and a medical refer, referral is preferred but not required. So you're all these testing sites, you can still go without a doctor referral, but at least at these ones with the Chickasaw Nation, they're preferring one but not, not requiring it. Right. I did, I think it was Friday, I looked into some of those county testing sites just because I was curious about, you know, kind of what the requirements were. And, you know, like you said, they're free and they don't require a doctor's recommendation. But if you do have a primary care physician, they do prefer you check in with those, but it's not necessary. And I think unless I think some of the counties are scheduling testing drive through times, but most of them are just doing by appointment only now. Hmm. So that's just something for people to think about if they are seeking a test for COVID. Yeah. And he said once again on Wednesday that he's encouraging people to get uh, to, to get tested if, if they feel like they they need it. Um, so those, those numbers continue, continue to go up. You know, mm-hmm. another piece of news on, on Wednesday, not directly related to COVID-19, but somewhat, I think, uh, our editor Dylan Goforth wrote a story on how uh, Stitt has not yet made up his mind on when a Medicaid expansion state question will appear on the ballot. He's got till mm-hmm. April 20th to decide whether that, that state question will appear on the June 30th or the November 3rd ballot. Now, Stitt is against this. So conventional wisdom would be that he would want to put it on the ballot that he thinks it's has the greatest chance to to fail. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's an easy question to answer during this time. Right. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I, you know, when I was reading Dylan's story this morning, coronavirus is going to come up so much because, you know, we're talking healthcare here. Mm-hmm. But I think the election board asked the governor to give them an answer by April 14th on whether he plans to put that on the ballot. And I guess they haven't heard from him yet. So it's not looking super promising, but it's still possible. Yeah. And he's got that, that April 20th deadline. So he's Mm -hmm. allowed to wait, I guess, strategically, if you were a supporter, you may be thinking the longer you wait, the less time we have to prepare Mm -hmm. in the past. I think Republican governors, have put state questions they disagree with on the summer primary ballot, thinking that that is the, you know, that's an election that draws out an older electorate, a more conservative electorate. So Mm -hmm. they may vote more in your favor. Most recent case of that might be when governor Fallon had put the medical marijuana state question on the, the June ballot. And and even that passed. So that's not a guaranteed solution even in these times. Yeah. And it's just, It's hard to say, too, what elections are even going to look like in June. So I think, you know, it's such an unprecedented time for everyone that it probably really is harder to tell, you know, I guess which ballot would be better for him to put it on. Yeah. And I think about, like, let's say that it is a June 
election. I mean, there is going to be a June election. We don't know if the expansion question will be on the ballot or not. But let's mm -hmm. say there is one, and this pandemic is still significant enough where people are taking serious measures. On one hand, you would expect turnout to be reduced. And mm -hmm. in the past, a lower turnout is typically an older average age of voter. So those older voters that are that are more committed to going out every every ballot. But I wonder, would you see an actually a decline in older voters who maybe not won't feel as comfortable going out, given that they may be in a vulnerable a vulnerable age bracket? I don't know. I've not seen that right. study. That's just kind of the questions I have, you know, going into summer elections. Yeah, and I'm sure you're not the only one who has those questions because elderly population is in that group of vulnerable people. So, um, you know, we saw in Wisconsin, I think Dylan put this in his story, the state earlier this month held in-person voting. Uh, and there were huge lines, and I don't think that went over super well publicly. So um, we'll see, you know, whether kind of how Oklahoma handles their elections and whether, you know, the virus has died down since then. But I guess if it's just interesting, you know, we're having all these conversations about what the June elections are going to look like when we're kind of looking at reopening the state. So I feel like there's a lot of uncertain, like uncertainties around, you know, what it's going to look like in June. And I think a lot of, a lot is going to happen between now and then. Oh yeah. Excuse me. Well, and the June election yeah. is two months away, which seems, mm -hmm. I mean, who knows what the world will look like in, in two months. Will we be right. normal where we see a second wave, will we still be battling this? Um, you know, it, it's really, it's really hard to tell. And elections have been one of those things that have persevered through some some pretty big crises in the country, whether it be war or, or other other factors. So, um, yeah. if, when an election is canceled, that's a pretty that's a pretty significant action. Right. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's it's our whole democracy, I would say, almost. So very important to see how that pans out. Yeah. I mean, speaking of elections, it's a presidential election year, and I feel like if anything, I almost forgot. Once, I don't know. I don't know if you can even say it's a silver lining, but one uh -huh. impact of the coronavirus is that we there hasn't been as much attention on the presidential election, which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's it's not bad that we're maybe having to to wait a few more months before it really kicks into high gear. I don't think. Right. I think probably by June, it's probably. I'm just guessing. I think it's going to really ramp up conversations because, you know, we're already talking about how President Trump is handling COVID-19 response. And that's being wrapped into the November election discussion as well. And I guess how uh, Biden is kind of approaching the discussion of this pandemic, too. So I think COVID is going to play a role in a lot of the discussion. I'm not a political analyst, of course, but I do think it's going to play a big role in, you know, the debates and what the discussion is like later this year. Yeah. I mean, it's becoming I think it'll become one of the definitive issues in how in terms of how how definitive an issue can be. In a lot of ways, people have already made up their minds and it comes down to a few swing states. OK, but it'll be the issue that gets maybe some of the most attention. And you're right. Mm -hmm. We've already seen a a very different style and how President Trump is addressing this and how presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden is approaching this. I mean, of course, their language is already different on a lot of issues, but mm -hmm. you know, the, the president is, I mean, you know, I can flatly say he's distorting facts in order mm -hmm. to, you know, re rewrite the his, his own history on how he's dealt with this. And and that's something that Biden has has already tried to draw a lot of attention to. So um, if there is a debate, 
if there are debates, I, I mm -hmm. would expect that to be an issue. Like, big question will be, will they shake hands? <laughs> will we be shaking hands right. <laughs> uh, in, in several months from now, or will we still be practicing social distancing? That's a great question. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see a presidential election year in the midst of a pandemic. So it might look very differently from uh, 26. Yeah. I think for a minute, time yeah. is just getting away from me. The, the post-coronavirus world um, will be interesting to, to watch. And I'm eager to get there, Cassie. I am too. I am too. And I don't want to get there too quickly. No, no, no. I want to get there safely, yes. but quickly. Yes. Well, um, yeah, some interesting things from the governor on Wednesday that'll be worth watching as we move forward. It looks like there might be, I think his words exactly were, a light, some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't really feel like things are starting to really change course, but maybe they're beginning to think about thinking about changing course or however you want to put it. But uh, um, right. maybe shifting a, a little bit. And if the curve really is flattening, then, that, then it is a significant uh a significant moment in the state right now. Right, definitely. And the governor did sound fairly optimistic about the direction the state's going as far as COVID-19 goes. And um, he said, you know, most of his executive orders are set to expire at the end of the month. So in the next couple of weeks, uh, STIT and I guess his uh, task force are going to be looking at whether those need to be expanded. And one of the things I'll really be interested to see if it's expanded is uh, the gatherings of 10 or more people. Mm. Is that going to end April 30th or, you know, is that going to continue into May? Yeah, definitely. A lot of things to, to look for coming forward. And yeah, May 1 is going to be kind of a critical, critical moment. So, well, hey, Cassie, yeah. thanks, thanks so much for your time. Uh, you have a good one. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Ben. See thanks. ya. That's going to do it for today's episode. You can find complete COVID-19 coverage at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Friday. <laughs>